You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. Welcome, NCC family. Welcome, guests. Yes, Larry and I shop at the same store. We're both wearing like the exact same plaid this morning. Uh, but no, welcome. We are glad that you're here today. Uh, and those of you joining us online, welcome as well. Uh, it's my privilege and honor to begin leading us through this next season in the life of our local body here at NCC. Uh, if you're our guest this morning, it's important for you to know our lead pastor, Brandon, is on a, is on a season of sabbatical. And he's going to be back around Easter time. And so in this season, uh, myself, as well as many of our other staff and pastors, have the privilege to open God's word and to lead us and guide us through these times of worship together. And that's what we hope that this is, is that it's a time of worship together as we open God's word. And so today, uh, we're beginning a brand new series entitled Solid Ground, How to Build Your House on a Firm Foundation. And so we're going to look at the next five weeks and examine the importance of building our spiritual houses, both our local spiritual house here at NCC, as well as our individual households on the truth of Scripture and on the person of Jesus. And it's my prayer that through this series that you would walk away with some building materials, if you will, some essentials to be able to confidently build your house on solid ground, on a firm foundation. And also just clarifying some terms for us this morning, because we've heard clarity is kindness, right? And so as we walk through, you're going to hear me say things like family worship. You're going to hear me say things like at-home worship rhythms or household. Whenever I use the word household or whenever I talk about family, that does not necessarily mean that for you, if your family looks like husband, wife, two and a half kids, and a dog named Spot, if that does not describe your family, this series is still for you. If you are the only person living in your household, that no matter what end of the age spectrum, this series is for you. When I talk about household and I talk about family worship, I am still speaking to you. Okay, and so there's, there's no space anywhere in this room when you hear those words, don't check out. Okay, I know a lot of times we hear the word family or we hear the word household and we think, man, my kids are gone, we are empty nesters, living the love and retired life, like we're doing the thing, or I'm all like on my own in my house. This is still for you. Okay, and this is for all of us as the local body, as the church. And we're doing this series because I believe foundations are important, right? Foundations matter. The most beautifully designed home with the best architect in the world would not be worth very much if it was built on a poor foundation. Multi-million dollar home with a bad foundation isn't going to last long, is it? You know, this is a simple truth that many of us learn even as children. You know, when I was a young boy, I spent some time living in Portugal. My dad served in the army for, 40, for 30 years. And on one of his tours of duty in Portugal, we lived in this apartment and we lived right across the street from the beach. And so it was not uncommon for us in the evening to go walk along the beach. It was super cool as a kid to be able to do this. 
And one of my favorite activities as an eight-year-old is to take my trusty blue plastic bucket with a broken handle and a Batman figure, because you've always got to have Batman. Uh, and I would take this along on our walks, and I would build these castles out of sand. And I would dig the moat, and I would dig it deep enough to where the water would come up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you dig it just deep enough to where the water starts coming through, and you feel really good about it. You build this massive castle. And I learned what many of us learn as, long, as young children at the beach or at the lake shore. If you build too close to the waves, what happens? It comes down pretty quickly. A rogue wave comes in and it takes all that hard work, everything that you've built on, and it just sends it to the ground. Sand doesn't make great building material when waves come, does it? You know, surely many of us have stories like mine from when you were children, building your hopes of your young adventurous hearts on foundations that literally crumbled before your very eyes. You know, 30 years later, I've come to realize that life still brings us many opportunities to build on foundations that were never meant to bear the weight of our lives. See, we all have opportunities to place our hope, to place our trust on foundations that are faulty. We build them on our own merits. We build them on political leaders or job security or job advancement. We build them on the accolades of our children, our friendships, our spouses, or dreams of one day future spouse. And when we build our hopes and when we place our trust on these things, we apply unbearable undue weight on people and on things and ideologies that were never meant to hold it. And so NCC, if you get nothing else from this entire series, please get this. Everything that we build, the houses of our hearts on, apart from the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ, will fail us. Would you read that out loud with me? We're going to do this together. Everything we build, the houses of our hearts on, apart from the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ, will fail us. Don't forget that. If you get nothing this whole series, hold on to that. Foundation matters. And Jesus taught using a very similar analogy of a young child building castles in sand, except he uses two grown men found in an illustration following Matthew chapter 5. So in Matthew 5, Jesus has just presented the Sermon on the Mount. And in this space between Matthew 5 to where we're going to be today in Matthew chapter 7, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 7 if you want. That's where we're going to be most of the time this morning. We're going to be in 7 verses 24 through 27. But Jesus presents at the end of this, this very long sermon, he gives an illustration to wrap this whole thing up and tie all the pieces together. And he uses an illustration about two men who build houses on very different types of sound foundation, sand and rock. Both foundations appear the same when dry. Both of them hold the weight of the home for a while. The house is built. 
It doesn't say the man thought about building his house on the sand or he thought about building his house on the rock. The houses were built. And for a while, they sustained the weight. But then rains and wind come, floods rise, and how these foundations perform is drastically different. But before we get into this illustration, we have to look at what did Jesus say beforehand? Because here at the very beginning of chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, what words? That's the question we should ask there. Here's what words of mine. Okay, so again, this is an illustration that comes at the end of a sermon that began two chapters ago. Okay, in chapter 5. And these words of Jesus in chapter 5 up until this point, they contain many passages where for us, especially if you've grown up in or around church, you've likely heard a lot of these passages preached individually. In this whole section, we have the Beatitudes. We have Jesus' statement that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Remember that one? We have a discourse on how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament law. We have advisement and instruction on how to deal with sins of anger and lust, instruction on divorce, on being true to your word, on revenge when you are harmed and how to handle that, on loving your enemies, on benevolence, the Lord's prayer, our Father which art in heaven, is in this passage. Instruction on how to go about prayer, on how to build up treasure in heaven, on how to deal with anxiety, all in this sermon on how we should treat others, how we should treat non-believers and believers alike, all in the sermon. And so at the very end of all this, we find this illustration. And it may be oversimplifying it, and I'll admit that. It might be oversimplifying it, but as we look at the purpose of this entire sermon, I think what we see is Jesus giving us a list for how we can worship and honor God in the things that we say and the way that we live our lives. Jesus in this sermon presents for us a theology of worship as a lifestyle. How do we live our lives in worship to God? Now, just like all forms of worship, if we view it wrongly, we do it wrongly. And so if we look at these passages, if we read them wrongly, we can begin to think that Jesus has just offered this giant list of do's and don'ts that we have to get right always. And it can become this feeling of like, man, how do I ever get all this right? Isn't this just a bunch of legalism? The author of the ESV expository commentary, Daniel Dorian, he talks about this tension, and I love how he says this. He says, work cannot save, but living faith must work. Work cannot save. Jesus isn't giving a list of things saying, hey, this is all the stuff you have to do in order to be right with me. That's not what he's saying. Work cannot save, but living faith must work. Our faith and love for Jesus should stir us toward obedience to his commands. Our faith in and love for Jesus should stir us toward obedience for his commands. See, Christ came as the fulfillment of Old Testament law to lay down his life for sinners and lawbreakers like you and I. If we could keep the law, we would not need Jesus. But we are incapable of keeping the law. 
We are incapable of living sinless lives that never break this law of a holy, righteous God. But Jesus did. Amen? And because of Jesus, not only does he live a perfect, sinless life, he takes the penalty for the imperfect, sinful lives that you and I live. It's interesting here in Matthew 7, these very, that very, very first part of Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, the way that that's presented in Greek, it actually reads slightly differently. The order is different. It reads like this. Here's me, these words, does them. Here's me, these words, does them. So the Greek here, the way that this is ordered, it seems to tie that the, these words that were spoken to the person of Jesus, not just in that he is responsible for saying them, but that in some way these words embody who he is. So if you think about the most trustworthy person you know, maybe a person that you, you would never doubt their love for you, you think of the most trustworthy person ever, could they lie to you? Yeah. We don't like thinking about that. Could they fail you? Yeah. Could their words not be true? Yes. But what we seem to see from this passage and the way that the Greek lays out is that this is not so with Jesus. And this is not so with his words. His words are always true. They are always trustworthy. They are always secure and steady and unfailing. They are sure enough to build a foundation for life upon. In one last stop before we get to this illustration, Jesus gives us a caution right before he gets into this. Again, he's walked through how we should live our lives, this theology of worship is lifestyle, and then in verses 21 through 23 of Matthew 7, listen to this caution. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Hard words. In his book, Deep Discipleship, it's one that I highly recommend. It's by author J.T. English. He writes this. He says, ministry that is not oriented toward the presence of God is dead. What does he mean by that? So ministry, just again, clarity is kindness. Ministry is not something that pastors do and pastors only do. If you are a Christ follower, you are called to ministry. The work of your life, the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus, this theology of worship is lifestyle, it is ministry to a world that desperately needs Jesus. We are all called to ministry. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. So ministry that is not oriented toward the presence of God is dead. Then he gives an example. He says, further, it is not enough to agree with the doctrine of biblical authority. In other words, it is not enough to say the Bible is my standard for living if it is not impacting the way that you and I do ministry and the kind of disciples we are making. It should inform all of our lives. Now, what is he saying, and why am I tying this quote to Jesus' words here in Matthew 7? I think that what Jesus is telling us in this warning 
in 21 through 23 is that you and I from the outside in, we can look like we are doing everything right. We can check all the boxes in this theology of worship is lifestyle. We can do all of the things externally correct. We can build the most beautiful looking exteriors and still be infested with termites. We can throw a brand new coat of paint on brick that desperately needs mason repair. We can do it all right from the outside in and still have hearts that need shifting and changed by Jesus. To use Jesus' own illustration in, in chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, we can be a large, impressive tree that is fruitless and barren. From the outside, we look like everything is good, but there's something wrong with our roots. And so the instruction that Jesus gives to combat this life full of action, full of building a house on the wrong foundation is this illustration that we find in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And so if you would, today let's do this together. We're going to stand as we read this passage. Matthew chapter 7, it's going to be verses 24 through 27. I'm reading out of the ESV. It'll be on the screens for you as well. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Thank you. You may be seated. Founded on the rock. What is this rock? Based on passages that we've looked at before, on the sermon that just, Jesus just preached, to build a house on the rock is to build our lives on the truth of Scripture and the person and work of Jesus. To build our lives on the rock is to build our lives on the foundation of the truth of Scripture and the words of Jesus. It is to hear the words of Jesus and to heed the words of Jesus. To listen to his voice and respond to his call. It's not enough to just hear him we must respond to him. We must build our households, our individual households, and our spiritual household here at NCC on the rock of Christ and the word of God. Because everything that we try to build on, and apart from that, will what? Fail us. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. That's verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So what does this mean for us, just very practically? We see that Jesus essentially speaks to all of life when he's walking through this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. It seems like there's not a single space that he leaves out. I mean, he goes all over the place. 
in the same way, building our houses, NCC, building our houses, our individual households on the truth of scripture and the person and work of Jesus means that that is all of life for us as well. And so what that means is that following Jesus for us cannot only exist in this room for a few minutes on a Sunday morning. That's a fresh coat of paint on rotting wood. If this is all it is for you, it is fresh paint on rotting wood. Jesus calls us to all of life, to lordship to Jesus in every area. You know, there's a scenario that plays out in my house more often than I would like to admit. And it doesn't paint me in the best light, but this is real life, so here we go, okay? In our home, Kristen takes care of a great many things, my wife Kristen. She's responsible for the majority of just the day-to-day operation of our house. I have joked often and said that if I die, our house is gonna be fine because it just runs that way. If she dies, it's gonna take me like a solid year and a half to figure out what's going on. Um, she just runs everything so well. She plans our meals, makes our meals, runs the Hasty Holden School Academy. She manages our finances, and she's really good at, like, she gets a project in her mind, and she's like a bulldog. Like, she can't let it go. Like, she has this idea, has the project, and she's going to work hard and get it done. And the way that we communicate about those things is very, very different. See, Kristen in our house, like, she's very direct. She's got a straight idea. She's ready to go. I'm a little bit more of a processor. It takes me some time to kind of get to where we're going, to figure out all the pieces and parts to know where we're headed. And so sometimes because of the way that we communicate, I can miss the urgency of a request that she can give me. Or I can completely miss like her timeline versus my timeline. Those things are sometimes incongruent in my mind, never in hers, but sometimes in mine. And so the other night, we're sitting there, and Kristen had just finished up making dinner, and she calls me from the other room and says, hey, would you mind cleaning up some of these dishes before we all sit down to dinner? Uh, Just to kind of get that out of the way so we can do some other stuff later tonight. I said, yeah, sure. And I go back to reading my book. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, yeah, like before we sit down to eat, I'm going to do that at some point. And you guys are laughing because you know what's going to happen, right? A few, a few minutes later, I hear the kitchen sink. I hear it running. I hear dishes being done. And in my head, I don't think, man, my children are so responsible that they went and started doing the dishes. No, I realize what's happening. My wife is sort of doing the thing that she has asked me to do. I have heard Kristen's words. I have not heeded them. I heard what she wanted me to do but I didn't do it in the way that she asked me to do it. I didn't heed it. And isn't this true about how sometimes we follow Jesus? We hear his word. We hear the truth of scripture. And then we go, but yeah, I'm going to do that my way. I, Jesus, I get it. I understand. I see it. Yeah. But how about we go about it this route? What if we just did it a little bit like this? We hear his words, but we do not heed them. The one who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like, what? A foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Now again, this is a little tricky. Because as we've learned from the outside, both men in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, they both build houses. 
And again, they're houses. They are built. They are constructed. But the way in which those foundations that they are built upon, the way in which those things are tested, if I'm honest, I don't love it. Right? It doesn't sound all that exciting. Rain fell, floods came, winds beat against the house, and the one on the rock, it did not fall, but the one on the sand, it fell, and it says, and great was the fall of it. My friends, whether you build your home on the rock or on sand, the rain still comes. The floods still rise, the wind still beats against the house regardless of if you have built your house on the truth of Scripture and in the person and work of Jesus, or if you built it on something else. They are tested the same way. Building our house on the rock of Christ does not make us immune from the hardships of our sinful world. It does not mean that nothing ever goes wrong. It does not mean that no one you love will ever, not, will ever get sick. It doesn't mean that we won't experience Death. It doesn't mean that you won't experience financial instability or hardship. It does not mean you will not face anxiety. It doesn't mean you won't doubt. Rains still come. Floods still rise. But what you choose to build your house on will determine how you how your spouse, your children, your great-grandchildren, it will determine how they fare in the tempest. Because when you face these things, you will be secure. When you face these things, you will not fall. Your house will not crumble. It will stand because of Jesus. I mentioned earlier that building our houses on a firm foundation means that it can't just be for us these few minutes together on the weekend. It can't just happen in this room. And so very practically, I want to walk us through something um, that I believe is a key component to helping continually make sure that we are building on the right thing. To help, because we're asking this question like, okay, like I want to build my house on the truth of scripture, on the person of Jesus. I understand that foundation matters. I understand that my sinful heart will try to get me to build on things that will fail me. So what do we do? I wanna offer you five things this morning that I believe as individual households outside of this room, these all should take place within this room, but I believe that they are things that if you will walk through on a daily or weekly basis, they will help us to ensure that we are building on the rock, okay? And so these five things are read, pray, sing, serve, and rest. Say that out loud with me. Read, pray, sing, serve, rest. One more time because I scared some of you. Read, pray, sing, serve, rest. These are five elements of at-home worship rhythms. Five things that whether daily or weekly, I believe that if, if we will implement these in our individual households, outside of this room, they ensure that we keep coming back over and over and over again to the truth of scripture and the person of Jesus, okay? So we're gonna walk through these briefly this morning. 
Read. Read. We must consistently hold a high value of the Bible. We must study it. We must learn from it and live by it. Not just hear it, heed it. It can't just be a thing that we pull out and read and check our box on a Bible plan and say, yes, I did my reading today. It's not enough to hear it, we must heed it. The Bible is our ultimate standard for living. I was really saddened recently, I was looking at this thing called the State of Theology Survey. It's released by Ligonier Ministries, and every couple of years they basically survey Christians, and they look at some core doctrines that for centuries Christians have said, yes, we affirm this, we believe this, this is true. And I need you guys to help me a little bit this morning, okay? So bear with me. If you are able, on this side of the room, would you guys stand? I won't have you standing long, just this side of the room, please. Take some time, that's good, that's good. I got you, Gibby, you're good. All right, so look back and forth here. This is roughly, depending on how we break down everything, roughly half the room, yes? Maybe a little bit more. Here's, the, here's their study on the Bible as the ultimate standard for living among, among Christians. 53% of U.S. adults So in this room, split this way. 53% of U.S. adults would agree that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths. But it is not literally true. U.S. adults increasingly reject the divine authorship of the Bible, relegating it to the same category as other religious writings and purportedly sacred texts. This view makes it easy for individuals to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that is out of step with their own personal views or broader cultural values. The Bible, however, is a unified message from the one true God. As such, it is to be embraced in all its fullness as God's perfect revelation to humankind. We must conform our lives to Scripture rather than twist Scripture to suit our lives. So this is the thing. We hear this. I'm not going to have you much longer. Hang with me. We hear this, and for some of us, that maybe you're like me, that makes you sad. Do you hear that? But this is the reality. This is a survey done with Christians. And so I'm just going to, by broad stroke, assume that if you were in this room this morning, you were at least interested in the things of God. This is what this room looks like statistically. May it not be so with us, NCC. The Bible is God's word. One of my favorite pastors, I know one of yours too, is James Talbot from Citizens Akron. He will often, after he reads scripture, hold up his Bible and he says, this is God's word and it is true. You may be seated. Thank you for helping me with that. We must individually in our households, as well as a local body, hold to the authority of scripture. Scripture should be read out loud in your home, in your household, every day. Every day. The next is prayer, to pray. Prayer is an essential aspect of the Christian life. 
Prayer is how you and I commune with God. It's where we have time to lift up God for who he is and for what he has done. In prayer, we confess our sin and we rest in God's grace. In prayer, we thank God for his goodness and we seek him for instruction and guidance. In prayer, we intercede for others and we listen. We listen quietly for the still small voice of God. Reformer Martin Luther has one of my favorite quotes. He's remarking on his time of morning prayer. He says, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. What he's saying is, if I don't start my day, if I don't spend this time in prayer, then my sin is going to continually rise up in my heart over and over again. And I will always be tempted to build my house on sand rather than the rock. He says, I have so much business. The way that sounds in our house is, guys, we got a lot to do today. He says, I have so much business. I cannot get on. I cannot make it through my day without spending three hours daily in prayer. You remember where we started? We started at two. He jumped the number. Do we value prayer this way? Could that be said of your household? Maybe I'm not saying we all sit down together and like set a timer. Okay, three hours, here we go. Let's start praying. That would be a little strange. Maybe. But if someone were to look in the doors of our households and they were to say, hey, what does it look like for a house to be built on the foundation of Scripture and on the person of Jesus? Is prayer a part of that? Beyond meals and beyond bedtime. When there's tension in your family, when there's arguments in your household, there's arguments in mine, is your first inclination to pray for one another. Or to, you want to diffuse an argument real fast? If you and your spouse are arguing, you go, hey, you know what? I don't know that either of us are seeing this rightly, or maybe it's just me. Can we pause and ask God to help us see this rightly? Prayer needs to be a part daily of our individual households. Sing. Some of you just got real nervous. Sing. Singing. Whether you are musically inclined or not, singing and music are so often a biblical response to the person and work of God. You know that's why we sing in church service. It's not just because we like singing. We sing as part of a response to who God is and what he has done. Do me a favor. Think in your mind of any other place where hundreds of people gather together and sing out loud on purpose rather than take me out to the ball game. It's not often. Beyond choir and school where we're learning about music and beyond some of those things, there's not really places as adults where this happens on a normal basis. Why? Because it is something holy set apart to worship God for who he is and what he has done. We see Moses sing in worship after the Israelites are brought through the Red Sea. We see Mary respond in worship through song after she finds out that she is pregnant with Jesus. We see the largest book in the Bible, the Psalms, is dedicated to what? Poetry and song. 
things that were to be sung out loud together. There are angels with the, created with the express purpose of singing about the holiness of God for eternity. That's their whole job. Singing is part of our response to God. And so in your home, whether that looks like pulling up a Spotify playlist and you listen to a song together in worship of God, or if you are musically inclined and someone sits down at a piano or pulls out a guitar, you need to tell me. I need to know that you are musically inclined. Uh, no, but really, maybe you sing out loud together in your home. Have you ever sung out loud with your household in your home? Again, no matter how many of you are there, whether it's one of you or 101 crumb snatchers grabbing your ankles, like, have we sung out loud in our homes beyond this space? Biblically, it should be part of our response to God. So those first three are things that I believe we could and should incorporate daily into our household rhythms. These next two may look more like weekly. Serve. Whether this is serving in a volunteer capacity here at NCC or it's out in our community in some way, we are called as Christians to bless others as we have been blessed. We are called to put others first. And so maybe this looks like going with one of our mission teams that Alex talked about being sent this summer. Maybe it looks like hopping in with one of our our volunteer teams. Or it could be seeking out the needs of those in your workplace, those in your neighborhood. See, this this is the truth, church. When we talk about missions, whether it's locally or globally, there are three words you need to know. Pray, give, and go. In this room, you can do at least one of those three. When we talk about local mission, if you're going, look, I can't go. I got a conflict. It's too much money. It's not my thing. Could you give? Could you give to help someone else go and be a part of the thing that God has placed in your heart? Or could you just pray? Could you pray for that team and pray for the people that are going? Could you pray for our local missions partners? There's a missions wall out in the lobby with a TV that cycles every one of our missions partners. Maybe it would be a good process to come in one day in the week and stop and just watch that screen go and pray for them. Pray, give, and go. There's no excuse for us to not do one of the three. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is no excuse for us to not do one of the three. And then lastly, rest. Rest. Now we're going to do a deep dive into rest next week. Okay, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But ultimately, resting comes back to submitting to this lordship of Jesus. Trusting him with his rhythms for our lives, rather than just trying to fit him into the rhythms that we are already ascribing to ourselves. When we do this, we do the work of building our houses on a firm foundation. And again, we're going to dive into that more next week when we talk about rest. And we're going to unpack these rhythms more uh, in the coming weeks. We're going to offer a training course that I'm going to lead us through called As for Me and My House, Embracing Worship Rhythms at Home. And so if you are interested in being a part of that, that's going to be February 23rd and 26th. Uh, deadline for that, we're going to cut that off on February 15th because there's some pre-work that you need to do moving into that course so we can work through that together. Um, But if that's something you're interested in, you can register for that 
ncchapel.com slash solid ground. And if you have questions, come talk to me about it. As we're closing, pastor and author Joel Beek, he writes about household or family worship. This is what he says. As goes the home, so goes the church. So goes the nation. And I would add, so goes the world. Family worship is a most decisive factor in how the home goes. Implementing household worship is a huge tool for us to continually draw our hearts back to Jesus, to ensure that we are looking at Scripture rightly, that we are allowing it to guide our lives, and that we are resting on the person and work of Jesus. Can you imagine what that would look like? What if all of us throughout the week in our individual households, again, whatever those look like, what if we had done all of these things every day leading into this morning? How would our hearts be different? How would you be shaped differently as you walk into this room to worship this morning? Everything we build the houses of our hearts on, apart from the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus, will fail us. But this is the truth. Before you can build the foundation of your house on Jesus, I must ask, is your life secure in Jesus? Before we do any of this work, you need to know that your sin separates you from a holy God, that your inability to keep the law and commands of God leaves you incapable of standing before him righteous on your own merit. But God, who is rich in mercy and who loves you so much, sent Jesus to be the fulfillment of the law and to die as a ransom for sinners and lawbreakers like you and I. That's the good news. Because as Jesus presents this sermon in Matthew 5 with this illustration, he knows you and I can't keep up. He knows we're not going to get it all right. He knows that it is unlikely that every day in our homes all these worship rhythms are just going to look perfect and beautiful and all life way. He knows it's not going to go that way. He goes, that's okay. I will. I will come and live the sinless life that you cannot. I will come and do the thing you cannot, and then I will die where you should have. And I will rise from the grave so that you can have new life in me and so that you can experience the joy of what it feels like to build your house on solid ground, knowing that you are not the thing that sustains you. See, we're talking about tools that help us to build, but the foundation is Jesus. He never changes. He is always, always, always sure. And so this morning, the band is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. And it just has this simple question, this simple declaration. It says, I will build my life on your love, because it's a firm foundation. As they sing, and as we worship together, this morning, if you're going, I need to begin building my foundation, I need to begin this relationship with Jesus, that might look like a simple prayer that says, Jesus, would you be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life? I want to follow you. Help me build it.
And if that's you as they sing, just pray that. Pray that and then come talk to me afterwards. Repent, believe, and then listen, next week I'm baptizing. If that's you, let's go. If you've never been baptized, next week, let's do it. I would love to talk to you about that. I'll be here after service. Let's worship God together, church. Let's not build our houses on things that fail us. Let's rest in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.